whether we know it or not. That desire to be amazed, moved and satisfied is actually a universal craving to see God face to face. is Bill Walker, and it's my pleasure to be one of the pastors here at Grace, and I am so grateful that you are here, and I am so excited uh, about the journey God is about to take us all on over these next few weeks. Uh, we are starting a series today that will go over the next uh, three weeks beyond today uh, called Awe, Authentic Worship Experiences. And uh, the goal would be that we would, in a very significant, real very profound, very life-changing way, be touched by the transcendent, that our lives would be changed by the living God. You know, a friend of mine one time said, uh, you know, if you were to walk out into the road and stand in front of an 18-wheeler while it's barreling down the highway and it were to hit you, do you think you would look different? How much different should we look if the living God of the universe has impacted our lives? And so this series is designed to take us to that place, if we're willing, to open us up to allow God to touch and transform us. Do you know where you sit today? Do you know where we're sitting? Uh, you are sitting in the auditorium. Yes, yes. And over the next number of weeks, we would like this to be a place, apart from your personal life out in the world, but when you come here, to have a profound touch of God on your life. Don't you love the little guy? Isn't he cute? He is so, so darling. You know, this little guy, in a very real way, very real way, represents all of us here. You know, from the very first moments of life, when we can finally get locomotion, we can finally get our legs under ourselves, we're on a journey, aren't we? We start moving, we start looking, we start journeying. It seems like we are on a quest looking for something. There's something out there, something other, something bigger, something more beautiful, something profound that we're all looking for. From the very beginning of life, we are all looking for those transcendent moments that we could best describe as being in awe. And it's funny, along the journey of life, there are some remarkable um, markers, if you will, experiences that kind of set us up for the ultimate experience. Uh, you know, very early on, one of the first mind-blowing moments for us is when somebody picks us up, and you know, we're just a wee little thing, somebody picks us up, and they look into our eyes, and we look into their eyes, and they go like this, wee! And all of a sudden, we're like, whoa, what's going on? This is incredible, what's happening to me? And they keep whirling you around and twirling you, and then they sit you down on your legs, and you're like this, and your world is spinning, but you know what you know? I want more. Oh, pick me up again, let's do it again, more, more. We have that desire within us to have those moments where we are thrilled with wonder and terrified with fear mixed together, and we just want it. We desire it. Another marker in life that happens for many of us, we probably don't have a memory marker of this because it happens early on in our lives, but it's when we first taste ice cream. 
You know, you see, you, you've done that with your infants. You know, you kind of put a little, well, you know, maybe you don't. You're one of those parents who never do that. I know, but no, I, you know, we did this with our kids, man. You put a little ice cream to the lips and it's like cold and all of a sudden their eyes open up and they get hungry and they start looking for more, want more. It's like that with chocolate. You know, you give that and it's just like, oh, I can't get enough of this. This is wonderful. I want more. I want to pursue this further. This is exciting and ecstatic. And so we have these little markers in life that keep us going forward, looking for that next wonderful opportunity, that wonderful experience. Uh, for some, it comes when you are pushed on a swing. You know, you put your child in the swing and you give them that shove and their hands and their legs are going like this and they're kind of squeaking and squealing a little bit. But you know what? A little bit later, harder, harder, more, push me again. Because we all desire this thing called awe. Another moment for some of us was when we first learned to ride a bike. Do you remember that? How many of you remember your first moment riding the bike? Yeah, after many accidents, how many scunned your knees or fell down and got boo-boos? Yeah, I was one of those kids too, you know, you get hurt. But when you first get it kind of mastered and you're, you're pedaling and gravity wants to pull you down and you know what happens when you fall down, but then you get it uprighted and the wind hits your face, you're in that moment. Oh. This is so exciting. This is thrilling. This is wonderful. There's the fear of failure, but there's also the wonder of having your face bathed with the wind. This is awe. And what we know is we want more. We want more. A roller coaster ride. Do you remember your first roller coaster ride? You know, you hear these people screaming, and you're walking up to it, and you're thinking, this cannot be a good idea. And you get lashed into this thing, and you're thinking, I want out, I want out, I want out. And then you take off, and you're screaming and squealing and carrying on. And when it finally stops, the first words out of your mouth was, I want to do it again. I want more. We all long for these moments in our lives that mix together a little bit of terror, a little bit of terror with a little bit of wonder. It's called awe. Those moments where you seem to move beyond the normal in every day, and you seem to almost touch something that is beyond you. Uh, a roller coaster ride. We play video games, or we have our first kiss. And all we know is, I want more. I want more. This is great. This is wonderful. Strange mix of emotions, but it's beautiful. If you ever have the chance to stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and see this mammoth physical uh, oddity that's in our earth, and, and, or if you ever have a chance to stand at the base of Niagara Falls and feel the thunder and the power of the water as it's cascading over, or if you get a chance to see the aurora borealis light up the sky on a dark night, all of a sudden you realize, there is so much more. There is so much power and majesty and wonder out there, and we deeply long to be touched by this. Perhaps the pinnacle moment for many of us, as we look back, it would be that moment where we first hold our son or our daughter, freshly born, newly kicking, squawking, squealing, and you hold this little life, and you think, this is a miracle. This is a wonder. And then in the very next breath, you're thinking terrifying thoughts. What on earth have I gotten myself into? You know, it's that moment. It's that moment. It's where wonder and terror are mingled together, and it leaves you forever touched. You know what I'm talking about. You know those moments in your own heart and life, and you long for that next moment because it is so profound and so personal that you will never, ever outlive the memory of that experience. 
what we have been looking for all our lives, God has hardwired us this way, is awe. And whether we realize it or not, we're really looking for authentic worship experience. Those transcendent moments that take us beyond ourselves into the new and the different. Those transcendent moments that actually call us beyond the physical to the spiritual. Those moments that actually take us beyond the tangible into the eternal. God longs to touch our being in such a way that it is so personal and so profound that we are never the same again. That is God's desire, by the way. He wants us to be so wholly his that this world is nothing in comparison to him. You know, the Bible uses various terms to talk about this unique desire God has placed in all of us. Uh, God has created us in his image, the Bible says. And the, the idea is, is that humanity has this unique stamp on us. We have this unique impression, and it is God, and it is the opportunity to connect to, to know in relationship the living God. No other part of creation has that unique stamp on it. Only you and I do. Only humanity does. And we have this longing in our hearts. It, 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 uh, the psalmist, or um, actually it was in Ecclesiastes, it says this, God has placed eternity in our hearts and there continues to be the reverberations of a distant relationship that we once had with God, and today we are all still looking for it, whether we realize it or not. Those reverberations, that longing, is something that is deep in the soul of every single one of us. One of my favorite authors is a man by the name of C.S. Lewis, commonly known as one of my favorite dead guys. He died the year I was born, a long time ago now, but he has left a stamp on Christianity, and his thinking is so clear and crisp, and his writings are so profound that they continue to have great profit today. And so, uh, according to C.S. Lewis, he likens this reality to this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, and you know, we, we get a taste of it. You know, somebody picks us up and twirls us in the air, whether it's chocolate or, or, or uh, ice cream, uh, being pushed in a swing, riding a bike, a roller coaster ride, playing Halo on the, on the game machine, uh, our first kiss, the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, Aurora Borealis, a son, a daughter, all that stuff is marvelous. Amen? It's awesome. But it doesn't last. It just doesn't last. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can ultimately satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That hunger, that longing, that inner craving that we all have for something more, something other, something significant, something majestic, something powerful, something beautiful. It's God. It's God. And we sense that need of him. Again, I love the way Lewis puts this. And you know, what I like about Lewis is he doesn't just throw clever thoughts out there and doesn't really develop them. But what he does with this statement is he then goes on to give us a full expression. He puts to concrete terms what he means here. How many of you are familiar with uh, 
a series of books which became films called the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so Lewis creates this entire world, this other world, that kind of parallels the physical world, but it's actually kind of a spiritual world. And what he does is he really helps us to understand this whole concept. And so what we see in this thing called the Chronicles of Narnia is we see little Lucy Pevensey, and she is, she is looking for something more. She is moving into a realm where if other people open this, this door up, all they found was the wooden back to this wardrobe. But this little girl sees beyond the wooden wardrobe, and she sees an entire world called Narnia. And so Lewis develops this whole world really in fulfillment to the idea that we were created for another world. And in this world, it's a world filled with adventure and danger, and there's Aslan, this Christ-like figure. And all of this is used to express the reality of those words. Notice, she's a little girl. Notice, she's just a wee toddler. There is a wonder in the eyes of children that when we grow up, we lose. And if we would but recapture just a little bit of the wonder, we would be radically different people. This is what this series is about. It's an opportunity to prepare ourselves to engage God in our consciousness so that he can deeply and profoundly touch us in ways that are significant to each and every one of us. You know, how God chooses to touch me and make himself real to me will be different than how he touches and makes himself real to you. That's just how God works. God knows each one of us uniquely, and he touches each one of us uniquely. But we need to position ourselves for that opportunity. And so we're going to talk about that specifically today. But I want to talk to you about where we're going over the next number of weeks to help us get to where I believe God would have us go. And so we're going to talk about this thing called awe. We're going to talk about having authentic worship experiences with the living God. And so what we're going to do is, oh, I like this part. I want to give you a definition of awe. How do you know if you've been touched by God? How do you know? Here you go. Awe is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. Will actually help to give some definition to that this morning. Maybe you'll have a better appreciation of it after we're done. But notice, it is a, per a perceptual beholding of God's vastness and glory that radically reconfigures your mental model of this world. What it basically is saying is this, God's desire in our lives is to so radically touch our hearts and touch our minds and touch our lives that we are no longer the same. Like I said, if you stood in the highway and allowed an 18-wheeler to impact you, you would look very different. If you allowed the living God to impact your life, you would look very different. God desires to blow our minds. Let me say that again. You can quote me. Pastor Bill says, God desires to blow our minds. If you will, God wants to do this to you, dear friend. Boom! That's right. God wants to explode how you look at life. God wants to explode how you view him. God wants to explode how you make everyday work. God wants to explode how you look at other people. God wants to explode how you look at your bank account. God wants to explode how you use your possessions. God wants to explode everything about our lives. When he touches us deeply, he gets us greatly.
But if we're not careful, we're going to walk through life always guarding off the reality of God from us, and we will be that much poorer for it. And so we're going to make our way along, and uh, we're going to consider different aspects of how God wants to engage us. So today we're going to talk about made for awe, and we'll unpack that in a minute. But uh, next week, we're going to talk about awe, authentic worship experience in creation, in creation. Listen to what Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 say. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And next week when we come together, we're going to talk about how God wants to reveal himself to us through his big book, his big book called Creation, General Revelation. Much of what we see and walk by and, and ignore, God is speaking to us, and he wants us to see him and, and behold him. And I think what God wants to do is blow our minds, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. He wants us to see his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature. That's manifested in general revelation. Next week, we're going to talk about that and hopefully uh, provide some opportunities for you to interact with that throughout your next week. So beyond that, we're then going to look at an authentic worship experience in the Word. So creation is God's big book. It is his general revelation to reveal his power and eternal nature. But God has also given his, us his little book. And in the little book, God's special revelation into our lives, God reveals who he is. God tells us his desire in our lives. God tells us about his son. God talks about our sin. God talks about the cross. It shares with us God's eternal gospel. And so what God is going to do is he's going to draw us in deeper, and our lives will be impacted if we approach the scriptures seeking to worship him. And so we're going to do that. We're going to begin with God's big book next week, creation, general revelation. We're going to then get to God's little book, special revelation, the word of God. And then we're going to end on November the 22nd with what I would prefer to call shock in awe as we consider the cross of Jesus Christ together. We will take the table and we will bring it front and center. And that day we are going to come around the table, the bread and cup, and we're going to celebrate the cross together. God's greatest expression of love. And if you haven't fully experienced that, then what I'm talking about is going to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to you. Wah, 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 right? It all comes back to the cross. So we're going to be doing this over the next number of weeks. And can I explain to you why we're taking the time to, to go down this pathway called awe? To actively, thank you. <laughs> that, I guess that was a, yeah, that's, that's fine. Thank you. Uh, feel free to interact anytime. <laughs> um, there is this thing uh, known as hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation. The word hedonic comes from hedonism. Uh, it is the idea of the pursuit of joy or the pursuit of pleasure. And, and adaptation means we quickly adjust. So God has given us remarkable brains. And what our brains are capable of doing is our brains are able to quickly map things from our consciousness and slide them rapidly to our subconsciousness so we're no longer aware of them. This happens to us all the time. You know, you, you go to work. And so all of a sudden, you're going to choose a new route to go to work. 
So what happens is you start out on this new route. You know, you've got your, your iPhone there showing you the way, or you've got your TomTom -tom there, and it's, it's walking you through step by step, and you're driving like, oh, there's a stoplight, okay, and there's a school, hey, kids, and then over here is some really cool trees at this time of the year, and so you're making way. You see everything the first time, but you do this for two weeks, what happens? Dude, you're multitasking. You know, you're talking on the phone, you're doing all this stuff. You don't even remember driving it. You just did it. Because what happened is hedonic adaptation. God has taken our brains in such a way as to move that which was in the consciousness and move it to the subconsciousness because we've already mapped it. So we don't think about it anymore. And the reality is this. We can do that spiritually. We can do that spiritually. Because in a very real way, we can go through the motions. And we could just do what we do. You know, hey, I get up, and I read my Bible, and I pray, and I come to church, and I put money in the offering. Like, oh, stop, reset. And I get up in the morning, and I pray, and I put, come to church, and I put money in the offering. Oh, stop, reset. And, you know, what happens over the course of time is hedonic adaptation happens. We start to go through the motions. It's gone from a consciousness to a subconscious activity. And so what can happen to us spiritually is this. These are the words that uh, Isaiah originally said, and Jesus pulled forward and used in John. Seeing, they no longer see. Hearing, they no longer hear. And our hearts, though they continue to push blood, no longer get excited about the person and the work and the truth of God. Because... We have naturally adapted. And the only way to ultimately overcome this kind of adaption, uh, adaption or to retard its, its happening in our lives is to every once in a while add something new to the mix. Every once in a while change things up. Every once in a while add some variety. Because it's in novelty that all of a sudden the brain is caught off guard and it engages. There's a little part of our brain, it, it resides back in about here, it's called Brokaw. It was found by a, a French scientist, and so it was named after him. This part of the brain is sometimes referred to as the gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper takes in enormous amounts of information that come in through the eye gate and the ear gate, and it quickly processes whether or not it's worthy of being considered. And if it isn't something new, and if it's not something novel, if it's not something different, then it quickly takes it and shoves it to the background and doesn't even consider it. And so this is what Edenic adaptation is all about. And if we're not careful, we can go there. So today, we threw something at you. Did it catch you off guard? It's called spoken word. It's a little different. But the words that Manus was able to speak toward us had a different impact than usual because it caught us off guard. You see, Brokaw allowed it in, and it made it to the right-hand side of our brains, and we began to listen and interact with it. On purpose, we did that. Next week, there is going to be an element that we will add into the service that if you don't make it next week, you will hear about it next week, and you will be so sad that you miss next week. I'm sorry. You really will. We actually have something planned for the third and the fourth week that will be uniquely different to catch us off guard for Brokaw to allow the truth to get to our brains. So this is the process. This is what we're talking about when it comes to awe. We want to overcome this thing called hedonic adaptation and actually move us, God, from the subconscious of our minds to the very forefront of our minds and the consciousness of our minds. 
Well, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes, and we will finish with this this morning. But today, I just want to talk to you two little things about how does God become engaged? How do we find God? To whom does God reveal himself? I think that's an important starting place for us today. And over the next number of weeks, hopefully as we take these things and apply them, that we will start to interact with the Lord on a way that is deeply personal and very profound. Again, uh, I appreciate Lewis, C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, when it comes to knowing God, the initiative lies on his side. If he does not show himself, nothing you can do will enable you to find him. But the scriptures do reveal the kind of people that God desires to reveal himself to. And so we're just going to consider two quick aspects this morning. And so with our little dude here, our little guy here, the first thing I want to say is God chooses to reveal himself to those who have a childlike faith. Again, to whom does God choose to reveal himself? He reveals himself to those who have a childlike faith. I love the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said this, I declare, and this is a prayer, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What things? Spiritual truths. God's presence, God's activity, who God is. I thank you, God, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. And you have chosen rather to reveal them to little children. And the word there means little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious, your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Now notice, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is good stuff. This is profound stuff. What he's basically saying is this. That God has chosen to hide himself from those people who would simply want to approach God like an academic exercise from those who are just curious, from those who, who simply want to understand something novel and new. But God has chosen rather to actively reveal himself to those who have this childlike desire, this de desire, this longing, this craving, this, this, this beauty of belief in the living God. God desires to show himself to those who are willing. If you're willing to open yourself up with a childlike trust, God will make himself real to you. You know, we live in a world where there are all kinds of academic institutions that, that uh, you know, you can go into and you can understand on a high academic level the word of God. I was fortunate to have gone to a place called Capital Bible Cemetery, I mean seminary, um, a number of years ago. You know, that, that slip of the tongue was purposeful. You know, the reality is this. There's a lot of young men, young women who go into seminary, uh, uh, academic learning at a theological level, who go there with a passion for Christ. They want to change the world, but they know they need further learning in God's Word. And when they get there, the academic aspects of the Bible so weigh on them and so weigh them down that they lose their passion for the Lord. They get strayed from God. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that the Word of God and learning it at a deep uh, academic level is a bad thing. 
But that doesn't help you know God. Those who know God are those to whom God reveals himself, and those people are those who have a childlike trust, a childlike faith. I'm willing. Again, I like this little guy. He is so cute. So do you know what he's doing here? I think uh, he has just witnessed a few moments ago daddy leave. And so daddy's gone. This is awful. So he's making his way, as he did, you know, his diaper weighing him down, and he makes his way over, and he smudges up his face against the glass. And you know what he's doing? Daddy, where are you? Daddy. And he's kind of got this expectation. He's kind of leaning forward on his tippy toes. I guess they haven't quite fully developed the heel action yet anyway. So, but, you know, so there's this hunger in the child for daddy. Can I ask you, is there a hunger in your heart? For Daddy God. For Daddy God. Because God reveals himself to those who with this childlike expectation and desire and want and longing and craving for God, God reveals himself to such. You know, I love it. Um, C.S. Lewis, again, when he created his world called Narnia, um, there was one particular character in Narnia that seemed to have the ability to perceive this other world and had a hunger and a longing for Aslan. Do you remember who that was? It was little Lucy Pevensey. Little Lucy was the baby of the family. She wasn't the oldest. She wasn't the smartest. She wasn't the strongest. But she was the one who had a childlike desire. And she was always, always longing longing to see Aslan. And so there is this humble, expectant, believing, simple trust that says, I want you, God. I long to be touched deeply by you, God. I want to, I want to be yours, God. I want to be all yours, God. I love the way Jesus put it in, in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5 in verse 8. He said this, blessed, blessed, are the pure in heart, for they what? That's right. The pure in heart are simply those who are undivided, unpolluted, unmixed. A pure-hearted person is a single-minded person whose desires have been united around one great object, and that is God. I want to know you. I want to pursue you. I want to love you, oh God. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11 says this. Without faith, without childlike, expectant, longing belief, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who will diligently seek him. This pleases God. This is what God loves. He loves it when we're willing to pursue him. And that's what a childlike heart and faith will do. You know, when we get older, in physical years or older in our walk with the Lord, what tends to happen is our childlike faith goes away. It gets overgrown by so many other things in our lives. Life becomes very complicated, and sometimes our doubts start to creep in, and life gets difficult, and we become a little, a little um, um, we allow reason to some degree overshadow uh, our simple trust and faith. 
What happens to us too often is in seeing we cannot see, in hearing we cannot hear, and our hearts grow calloused and distant. It happens. And I want to ask you today for you to go before God in your relationship with him and yearn for the way it was at the very beginning. Daddy God, I want you. Daddy God, I pursue you. I love the way that Lewis puts it uh, with his characters. Uh, in the first of the uh, movies, um, The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, uh, Professor Diggory Kirk tackles this issue. Consider what he has to say. Oop. Let's try that again. Okay, let's do it this way. There we go. You seem to have upset the delicate internal balance of my housekeeper. Very sorry, sir. It won't happen again. It's our sister, sir. Lucy. The weeping girl. Yes, sir. She's upset. Hence the weeping. It's nothing. We can handle it. Oh, I can see that. She thinks she's found a magical land. In the upstairs wardrobe. What did you say? Um, the wardrobe upstairs. Lucy thinks she's found a forest inside. She won't stop going on about it. What was it like? Like talking to a lunatic. No, 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 not her, the forest. You're not saying you believe her. You don't? But of course not. I mean, logically, it's impossible. What do they teach in schools these days? Edmund said they were only pretending. And he's usually the more truthful one, is he? No. This would be the first time. If she's not mad and she's not lying, then logically, we must assume she's telling the truth. You're saying that... We should just believe her. She's your sister, isn't she? You're a family. You might just try acting like one. Those who approach God with open hands and an open heart, humble, expectant, and believing like a little child, to such... God reveals himself. I'm afraid that we get too old, too smart, too logical, and we fail to actually put ourselves in the place to be touched deeply by the living God. That's one aspect that I want to just um, share with you, and I want to now move on and talk to you about the other aspect, and then we will be done. Awe is actually a mix of emotions that include both a childlike faith and trust and belief, but there's also this respectful fear that accompanies it in order for awe to be complete. And so the reality is the Bible also teaches this truth. The Lord confides in those who what? That's right. He makes his covenant known to them. 
So we've just talked about how this little lad is, is standing at this doorway. Probably daddy just walked out. He's, he's up on his tippy toes. He's looking through the glass, and he's thinking, Daddy, Daddy, come home. Daddy, please. Because Daddy plays with him, and Daddy has fun with him, and they, they laugh together. They giggle together. He tickles them. They have a great time together. Daddy, Daddy. But may we never forget that Daddy is not only Daddy, but Daddy is also Father. And in addition to just being loving and joyful and playful, uh, Daddy is also somebody of size, strength, and position in our lives that calls for respect. You know, I can remember very well uh, as a child, five or six years old, that my um, uh, five or six years old, and, and what I was doing is I was watching television and I was watching the Flintstones. I'm never familiar with the Flintstones. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here I'm watching the Flintstones and, and I'm watching this all play out on TV and I watch Fred Flintstone say to his wife, Wilma, he said, I, you are an old battle axe. I had no idea what that word meant, but I knew he wasn't happy when he used it. My mother said to me, William, come to dinner. I said, no. She said, no, no, William, you don't understand. I want you to shut the television off. It's time to eat. Come on into the kitchen. I said, I'm not going to do that. She said, William, I want you here right now. And I remember turning around and pointing my finger at her and saying, I don't want to, you old battle axe. My father, and I mean father, came across the house like a locomotive, all the while taking off his belt as he was moving. And everything goes black from there. But I can assure you of this, I never called my mother a battle axe again. You see, this is part of the nature of a parental father and this is a very important part of our relationship with God. If we're not too careful, we can always just refer to him as daddy, 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 all love and gooey. But the reality is daddy is also the king of the universe, the creator of all things and worthy of complete respect. But if we only look at this aspect of God, then we will forever live in fear of him when he wants us to enjoy his love. So true awe is this mix of emotion, of wonder, and of fear that come together in a profound way that leaves us forever changed. So this is what we're talking about over these weeks to come. We want to encounter God in his love and in his majesty, in his tenderness and in his terror. We want to encounter the living God and let him forever be so indelibly marked on our soul that we will never, ever forget who he is. Again, I love Lewis. Lewis plays everything out completely. This is Aslan, the Christ figure in the story, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, Beaver was telling the Pevensey kids about Aslan. They had not met him yet. And he said this, Aslan is a lion, uh, the lion, the great lion, 
Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. This is God. He isn't safe, but he's good. And I love what um, uh, Tumnus uh, tells little Lucy at the close of the first movie. He basically said this, after all, he is not a tame lion. And so this is the mix. This is the emotion that I believe God would have us experience as we draw near to him, as we are those who have a childlike trust and faith, an expectancy, at the same time a respectful fear. For he's not safe, but he will forever leave you touched and transformed. Let me give you a little sense of the uniqueness of this emotion called awe. Tell me, if you don't see it, and you don't hear it, and you don't feel it, in this little clip uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia. Did you hear it? Did you see it? Did you feel it? That cold sweat, that chill that comes over you with the roar of power and the joy of squeal of wrapping your arms around him, knowing him personally. This is awe. For this we were made. And anything less will always come up short in our lives from the reality God wants us to experience. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the band to come on up and to engage us uh, with a response. just want to say that each week we're going to put at the back, just before the black curtain and you walk around it, some exercises, some opportunities for you to take it from here to the next level in your own personal lives or your small groups, however you so choose. Uh, so I've got a bunch of uh, opportunities up there, exercises that come from Psalm or Isaiah 40 as you interact around one who is tender and yet terrifying, as you wrap your arms around one who is intimate and yet omnipotent. See what God might not do in your heart and life. Let me pray for us. Father God, we give you praise today. And thank you so much for giving us this longing, this hunger, this craving in our soul that no thing we can buy 
that no thrill we can seek, that no relationship on earth could ever satisfy. And you put this in us so that we would seek you. Father God, I pray for us here today that we would consider approaching your majesty like a child and that we would have expectation and longing to experience you at the same time overwhelm us with who you are. Leave us different. Don't leave us unchanged. Life is too short. Eternity is too long to just go there bland and indifferent. Help us, O oh God, by your grace. And the people of God said,